Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Supreme Court is in session again and hearing arguments for two cases that will determine the future of affirmative action in America, particularly at uh, universities, higher education. The question is, what are the arguments? How will the court's decision impact the future of diversity at universities? And as we look at how this all breaks down, really pleased to have joining us back on the program once again, Professor Ronell Anderson-Jones from the University of Utah, S.J. Quinney College of Law. Uh, She is uh, an expert on the First Amendment. Uh, She teaches, she researches, she writes, and she helps us dig through all of it and make it make sense uh, in our world today. Uh, Ronell, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, nice to be here. Uh, so first, give us a, a little bit of the backstory for our listeners who haven't been following this real closely in terms of what is this particular case that is coming before the Supreme Court? So there are actually two cases that came to the court as a pair and now have been um, separated out into two. They both involve race-conscious admission programs, um, affirmative action programs, uh, one at Harvard and the other at the University of North Carolina. Uh, They share uh, a lot of similarities, uh, essentially asking the court to think about the acceptability, the legal acceptability of affirmative action cases. But there are some differences between them. Harvard, obviously, is a private institution, so it's accused of violating a statute that forbids discrimination on the basis of race. Uh, UNC is a public university, so it's accused of violating both that statute, but also the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. And there are um, some additional questions about uh, the sort of treatment of Asian American applicants that figure uh, prominently in the Harvard case. But at base, they're both coming before the court to ask the court uh, about the acceptability under our Constitution's prohibitions on race discrimination of having some racial discrimination that advances um, non-white candidates um, at the admission stage in college. Yeah. And so as you look at those uh, arguments that happened today, uh, over three hours, I guess, of uh, arguments that I think uh, got a little tense at times. So what did did we learn? Uh, what, What was the case really being made? Yeah, so, I mean, we're always reading tea leaves here, but <laughs> yes. uh, the, the, um, the six justices in the conservative majority on the court signal through their questioning that they seem quite ready um, to uh, change their minds uh, after. There, there's a body of precedent uh, that suggests that it's acceptable uh, to discriminate on the basis of race, to give a leg up on the basis of race at the uh, at the affirmative action stage of admissions, uh, as long as there's not a racial quota, a rather uh, a holistic approach. Race uh, is one factor among many in the admissions process. That's what the, uh, the doctrine currently says in the area. The six justices in the conservative majority all sent signals in oral argument today that they are looking to reconsider uh, those decades of precedent, um, that, uh, that that they seem likely um, to vote that these programs are unlawful, that um, Harvard and UNC cannot 
engage in affirmative action in the way that they do. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and those who are, are arguing to maintain that or to uphold those uh, ways they go about admissions at both Harvard and, and UNC, uh, what, what is their case? What is their uh, dominant argument uh, before the court? So the main argument here is that there is a compelling governmental interest in having diversity in the educational setting. That is, uh, that everyone, um, uh, people of all races, learn better when they are surrounded by folks um, from lots of different backgrounds, um, and that uh, race-conscious measures uh, to promote that equal participation at the educational um, setting are sort of the rare compelling governmental interests that overcome um, our concerns about um, uh, making decisions on the basis of race. Uh, they argue uh, that um, the, the sort of aftermath of the, the 14th Amendment, where the Equal Protection Clause is contained, anticipated uh, these kinds of overriding governmental objectives, that we might need to have some race-conscious measures to promote equal participation in society in these ways. I know there was some uh, back and forth uh, um, amongst uh, the uh, the lawyers uh, and the justices uh, regarding, uh, you know, what would happen uh, if this were changed? Uh, would it, there be a steep decline in African-American representation uh, at these universities? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is um, at core uh, a big piece of the fight here. A number of the conservative justices on the court uh, were uh, sort of uh, pressing on this front. Um, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, in particular, um, seemed uh, very interested in sort of a line of questioning about race-neutral ways that diversity could still be achieved, that he's sort of looking around um, potentially for a way to limit the sweep of a decision that rejects these particular affirmative action programs, uh, but still um, brings about the kind of uh, uh, rich, deep diversity of student body that the universities say that they want. Uh, there was some some clear skepticism um, from uh, Justices um, uh, Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch, um, who uh, uh, Justice Alito um, pretty pointedly suggested that college admissions are what he called a zero-sum game. That is, you know, if you if you give advantages to one group, you necessarily disadvantage another. And that seems to be a fairly prominent theme in some of the conservative questioning. Interesting. And, and of course, one of the really interesting things, of course, is we have uh, newly uh, sworn in Associate Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, uh, who actually recused, uh, recused herself from the Harvard case uh, during her, her hearings uh, to be uh, confirmed to the bench uh, because she had previously served on the university's board. Uh, she is participating in the UNC case, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. I mean, this is one of the reasons that um, we'll now um, quite clearly um, get two separate opinions in two separate cases. When um, a year or so ago, uh, we might have thought that they would have been consolidated and we would have answered all of these questions in the course of a single opinion. We'll now um, likely get two, uh, one in which uh, the new Justice Jackson has is a participant and another in which she's recused. And, and so there's a decent chance um, that uh, the, the Harvard opinion 
could just um, suggest, uh, just sort of give us an outcome and, and then refer us to the reasons that are laid out in more detail in the UNC case. Yeah. Anything surprise you today? Uh, I guess I, I, um, I, I wasn't totally surprised. I mean, there are um, this. This is a really interesting moment at, for the court overall, yeah. and your listeners have spent a lot of time sort of thinking about the relationship between this court and um, it, uh, it, its reflection on precedent, the kinds of changes that it's making. Um, there are there are some. Um, interesting parallels between this and some of um, its recent decisions to overrule uh, prior case law. Uh, And so uh, part of what I think we're going to be watching for is um, sort of how aggressively the court um, uh, pivots in this space and whether it um, eliminates all of the doctrine um, that we have seen in in the last couple of decades or whether it um, takes more incremental changes. Uh, great insight, as always, uh, always helping us make the legal real uh, and understandable for all of us. Professor Rennell Anderson-Jones from the, uh, the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. Uh, Professor, as always, we really appreciate your perspective. We look forward to having you help us navigate the rest of this as it continues to march forward. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and step aside uh, for one last commercial break. We'll come back some final thoughts on a Monday. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.